0: The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Good morning, friends. Grateful to be with you, <clears throat> and I bring you greetings from Chevrolet Baptist Church. Chevrolet's just outside of the District of Columbia on the Maryland side, <clears throat> little congregation we planted in 2018. And... Uh, uh, it was said that I was going to speak about the church. I actually I want to start by speaking about heaven. What do you think of when I say heaven? Now, when I was a kid, I loved Tom and Jerry cartoons, and you know, sometimes Tom the Cat would die, and he would go up the escalator, remember? in the clouds. They'd be like, what are you doing here to Tom the cat? Is is that what heaven is like? Is that your vision of heaven? You know, golden gates and angels and clouds and and so forth. Well, interestingly, in Scripture, heaven refers to the dwelling place of God, right? Psalm, Psalm 2, the one enthroned in heaven laughs Yeah, what's interesting is that at different points of the Bible's storyline, a few crucial points, it's as if heaven and earth are together and they overlap. Heaven as it were touches down on earth. If heaven is where God dwells any time God is dwelling on earth, well heaven and earth are intersecting. So so what, what did God do with Adam and Eve? Well he walked with them in the garden, right? So there's a sense in which The garden was a connection point, an access point between heaven and earth. And then if we keep reading through the Bible and we get to the tabernacle and God dwells in the tabernacle, is there not a sense in which the tabernacle also was a kind of access point, a connection point in between heaven and earth? And so sure enough, the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 8 says, the tabernacle, earthly tabernacle, offered a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. And, of course, we know at the end of history, heaven will come down, right? The new city will come down, and heaven and earth will be one again. And we will not need a sun and moon, for the Lord God will be our sun and moon. Revelation will be our light, Revelation tells us. Yet, what about today? Where is heaven today? Is there an access point between heaven and earth today? Do I take an escalator there, like in Tom and Jerry? Is that what we need? Well, in answering that, which we'll do from Matthew's gospel, we're going to discover that you, the church, are an access point, a place in this gathering where heaven and earth overlap, such that 1 Corinthians 14, the non-Christian walks in and says, God really is among you, according to Paul. We're going to do that in seven points, all right? Here's point one. The question at stake, this is my wonky point. Let's just get a lot of Bible here. A question at stake in Matthew's gospel is, who represents heaven on planet Earth? Who represents heaven on planet Earth? I'm going to give you a bunch of texts. You don't need to turn to these. We're We're going to look at 16 and 18 more carefully in a moment but just a bunch of texts from Matthew. Listen as I read. Chapter 3, verse 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's about to show up. Repent, right? Apparently, heaven's rule has almost come. Uh, Who are the beneficiaries of this rule? Chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And if you've received this kingdom of heaven. How is it that you live? Well, chapter 5, verse 16, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And notice how these people, these beneficiaries of, of heaven's rule live. Notice what they pray for. Your kingdom come, they pray. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and and notice what these people strive after chapter 6 verse 19 do not store up your treasures on earth but store up your treasure in heaven and of course the book famously comes to a close with the ascended lord jesus saying all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me the word heaven shows up 75 times in matthew's gospel and the words heaven and earth are paired together 12 times. All authority in heaven on earth, right? Do not store up your treasure on earth, but in heaven. It's paired together. Heaven and earth is paired together 12 times. This is a major theme in Matthew's gospel, right? Clearly. And the question at stake is who on earth represents heaven? Heaven belongs to God, it's where God dwells. Earth belongs to. Well, who? Chapter 4, verse 8. Again, the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Heaven belongs to God. Earth belongs to the evil one in some sense. He's been given a certain kind of dominion for the time, a temporary rule. And of course, this is why Jesus taught his disciples to pray your kingdom Come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Point one, I said to you, is that in Matthew's gospel, a major theme, it's interested in who on earth represents heaven. And what we watch happen in Matthew's gospel is a change, actually. It's it's, it's an administration change, kind of like one presidential administration giving way to another or or the Soviet Union a regime change giving way to the Russian Republic. We get that kind of change in who represents heaven in Matthew's gospel. So, Throughout the Old Testament, of course, it's Israel, ethnic Israel, who represents heaven. But then what you have in Matthew's gospel is Jesus showing up and saying, guys, you've lost the election. Time to pack the contents of your box, uh, your desks. A security guard is going to escort you to the Capitol building doors. Chapter 23, verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would go in. Your time's up. And so there's this language of regime chain. Chapter 8, verse 11. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west outside of the promised land, Gentiles. Many will come from the east and the west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom ethnic Israel, will be thrown out into the outer darkness. So again, Matthew is preoccupied with the question of who on earth represents heaven. And then it says, okay, well, they have, but now someone else will. And it's worth just stopping and meditating on this question for a moment. Who on earth represents heaven? I mean, after all, isn't that the question which so many people have sought after and spent their lives seeking after? Think about the philosophers. Plato, to Aristotle. Do they speak for heaven? Or maybe it's the poets who've, Give us a glimpse of the eternal and, and true beauty from Homer to Shakespeare to Auden to Wordsworth. Maybe they speak. For, do, do I go to them to find out who speaks for heaven? Of course, most people today say it's ridiculous that anyone would presume to speak for heaven. I mean, what's truth, right? I mean, the only people claiming to know truth are people who are just trying to rule things over you. No, nobody. It's a power move. Nobody speaks for heaven. Or maybe you're a little more spiritual. I like to go for walks in nature and I feel heaven in my heart. God speaks to me there. Point one, this question at stake in Matthew's gospel is who on planet Earth represents heaven? Point two, Jesus represents heaven. Chapter three, behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son. Heaven affirms Jesus. Listen to Him. Or the final words of Matthew again, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. It's like heaven and earth were, were divided in Genesis 3 when they were cast out and would, could no longer dwell with, with God. And now here we are in Matthew's gospel and heaven and earth are are coming together again in this this person of Jesus Christ. All authority in heaven on earth belong to me. I speak for him. I rule on heaven's behalf. Jesus represents heaven. Jesus is an access point. It's not Tom going up the escalator. It's Jesus coming down and saying, I'm here, heaven's here, right? Okay, Jesus. Anybody else? Does anybody else represent heaven? we well, listen to chapter eleven twenty-seven. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. Okay, again, Jesus does. Anyone else? Well, the verse keeps going. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Point three. The local church. Bethlehem Baptist South Church, Bethlehem Baptist Church, South. Bethlehem, ba- you <laughs> represent heaven. Access point here. Turn to Matthew 16. First part of the chapter, we see Jesus warning the apostles not to trust the teaching of Israel's leaders. Again, regime change time. And then verse thirteen, he says, "Who do you? Who do people say the son of man is?" And then he asks again, again in verse fifteen, "Who do you say that I am?" I think we can say that Jesus. Just looking at verses thirteen and fifteen, I, I think we can say Jesus is interested in a what and a who. What's what's a right confession of who I am? And okay, who of you know it? Who do you say that I am? So he's he's interested in a what a right what a right confession. And, and a right who? Who of you are confessors? Are you are people getting it? Are you getting it? Simon Peter, look there, answers, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus affirms Peter's answer of, on behalf of Father in heaven. Jesus standing on earth, Father in heaven told you that, he says. He's revealed this to you. And then look at verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What are are those? And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Okay, they're doing something on earth, and something's happening in heaven? What? Let's back up. Okay, notice notice Jesus is going to build his... Church on this rock. Well, what's the rock? Sometimes people well, Peter's the rock. Well the confession is the what he's confessed is the rock. Uh, most evangelical commentators today will say, well, so Peter, Peter is the rock, but it's Peter the rock because he's confessing the right confession. The rock is a confessor confessing the right confession. Can't separate the confession from Peter or Peter from the confession. And then and then, interestingly, Jesus gives these keys. But, but these keys don't open and shut. They bind and loose. Keys are, keys are a symbol of authority throughout Scripture, but they're, but their authority to do what? Well, their authority to bind and loose. What's, what's that all about? What is, what is binding and loosing? Well, it's a thing and it's opposite. Right? Uh, flip over to Matthew 18. Maybe that'll help us. Because that same language shows up again this binding and loosing language look at verses 15 and 16 Uh, for brother sins against you go and show him his fault but let's say it, it 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 doesn't work out he doesn't listen so verse 16 bring two or three other one or two others so a matter may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses and this this person still doesn't listen so finally we get to verse 17 and tell it to the church Ecclesia. And if he doesn't listen even to the church, let him be to you a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And skipping to verse 20, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Okay, so what's what's going, verse 18, they're binding and loosing. What What's he, what is that binding and loosing? Well, let's look at verse 17. It's it's removing a person from membership in the church. Treat them as you would a, a non-Christian. Okay, so binding and loosing at least involves putting a person out of membership. But of course, binding and loosing are opposites. So if it's somebody, somebody else, it must be also bringing them in. But is it just discipline? Well, look at verse 19. If two of you ask anything. Okay, so it's it's a little more expansive than just discipline. It's Again, it seems to be bringing somebody in, it seems to be, let's go back to 16, chapter 16, affirming, yeah, that's right, the Father in heaven told you that, and you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. What What is binding and loosing? A little bit of background, a little bit of historical background here for you. The rabbis would use the language of binding and loosing to talk about interpreting the law, and then rendering a judgment on the law based on that interpretation, okay? So what, is, what does Moses teach about divorce? Can a man divorce his wife if if she's been unfaithful, if, if she has displeased him in some other way, or under no circumstances? What, what does Moses teach about divorce? And so you have different rabbis, they debate this, and they, they decide, okay, here's, here's what Moses teaches about divorce. They, they would make an interpretive judgment. And then they'd have an actual couple in front of them, and, and you you think, okay, well, based on that interpretation, is this, is this uh, uh, couple able to divorce? So we render a judgment. Do you see? And they be bound by that judgment or loosed from that judgment. Make sense? So what is binding and loosing? What are the keys of the kingdom? Here, here it is in a sentence. Any note takers? The keys of the kingdom are the authority given by Jesus to render judgment on the what? and the who of the gospel. It's the authority given by Jesus to, rent, to make declarations on the what and the who of the gospel. Confessions, that's the right confession. The Father in heaven told you that. And confessors, yes, you, you're you a Christian. Or, mm, we're not going to affirm that profession of faith. And when we do that, what are we doing? We are speaking on behalf of heaven. Whatever you bind and loose on earth will be bound and loosed in heaven. Does that mean the church, when it yield, uh, wields the keys, actually saves people? We change their status in heaven. No, it, the work is more like what a judge does. When a judge says guilty, not guilty, does, does the judge actually make the person innocent or guilty? No, but does the judge have an authority to render a judgment on behalf of the government to say guilty or not guilty, that the government will then treat the person as if they really are or are not? Yes, and that is the authority of the local church. In chapter 16, who has the keys? Peter, right? Maybe the apostles, a little debate over that. In chapter 18, who has the keys? Are there any elders there? Any bishops? Presbyteries? general assemblies? No. Tell it to the, what's the final round of appeal? Tell it to the ecclesia. Tell it to the church. And if he doesn't listen to the ecclesia, doesn't listen to the church, treat him as you would a Gentile or a tax collector. The local church has the authority to stand before a confessor, to consider his or her confession, and say, yeah, that's right. That's that's who Jesus is, and that's what He's done. And then we render a judgment, and we declare. Well, how do we do that? Well, we're two and three gathering in His name, right? And then what does chapter 28 give us? Go into all nations, make disciples, doing what? Baptizing in the name. We give them the Jesus name tag. I'm with Jesus. I've been baptized into the name. It's those who gather in the name who then have the authority to baptize into the name. And then we gather again in the name. The Great Commission is given to the churches. And the churches go out and make disciples and plant more churches. That's the job. That's the Great Commission, right? The local church has heaven's authority to guard, to protect, to declare the what and the who of the gospel. Jesus has authorized you, Bethlehem Baptist South, to do that. It's, it's like when I was in college, I did a study abroad one semester in Brussels, Belgium, and my, my U.S. passport expired, and so I went down to the U.S. embassy there in Brussels, Belgium, and, uh, you know, gave it to the clerk at the desk, and they took my passport, and they looked in the computer, and they're like, okay, uh, you know, and they gave me a new passport, right, eventually. Now, I, did the U.S. Embassy make me a U.S. citizen on that day? No. But did the U.S. Embassy possess an authority that I, as an individual U.S. citizen, ha, don't have to declare me, formally declare me, yes, citizen of the United States? Yeah, that, that, that's the authority of an embassy, right? The local church is an embassy of the kingdom of heaven. It is an outpost. Do you know what they say when you, when you step into an embassy? Do you know what kind of soil they say you're stepping on? Your native soil. you step into the U.S. Embassy. You're, you're stepping on American soil. What does that mean? How does that make sense? Well, it means this space where the U.S. Embassy is there in that neighborhood of Brussels means the U.S. government kind of consecrated that space. Their authority consecrates that space and says this space is ours. This is U.S. soil. What's the gathered local church? For where two or three are gathered in my name... There am I among them. I consecrate this space by my authority to me. They represent me. He's not saying I'm, I'm hovering there like a mystical flog. You can feel me. That's not what he's saying. He's saying this space, this gathered assembly represents me. They speak for me. This is an access point where heaven comes to earth. Such that, 1 Corinthians 14, again, non-Christians walk in and say, God really is among you. The local church is an outpost. The local church is an embassy of the kingdom of heaven. How easy it is to take the local church and its gatherings for granted to complain about it. It's like, oh, I gotta get up again. I really would like another day off. Saturday was nice, but I had to work all day. I got yeah, to people. Do we really have to go this Sunday, honey? We can stay home, right? If you've been to Washington, D.C., you've been to Washington, D.C.? Embassy Row, you ever heard of it? Embassy Row is Massachusetts Avenue, a certain part of Massachusetts Avenue. You walk down Embassy Row and you see embassies from all around. right? There's the Norwegian Embassy. There's the Japanese Embassy. There's the South Korean Embassy. Oh, there's the British Embassy. they got a little red phone booth out front. They really do. I don't think it... The phone works, so I'm not sure. And uh, what do you see at each of these embassies? Well you see the flag of that nation flying? You, if, you, if you were to walk into the embassy, you would hear the language of the people in those embassies. If, if, if you go to an embassy dinner, I, I went to a, a, a dinner once at the British embassy. Um, you know, you, you would eat food grown in the soil of that nation and, and uh, uh, you, you experience the culture of that nation. If, if you were to like sneak into the back offices, which I wouldn't recommend, and you look through the file drawers, what would you find? You'd find the diplomatic business of that nation, right? What is the local church? It's where the flag of heaven flies. Baptism. It's where we we eat the food of heaven in the supper. It's where we should experience the culture of heaven. Love, peace, peace patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. We hear the accent of heaven, the language of heaven. It's it's where you discover people who love their enemies. You ask them to go one mile, they go with you two. You you ask for their cloak, they give you a tunic as well. It's a group of people who are where they fight not only to not commit adultery but to not lust. Not only to not do violence, but to not even hate. And 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 if you kind of get into our business and you listen to our sermons, you're gonna you're gonna hear our warfare plans. Go out and make disciples. Tell them the king is coming, and he's coming to judge, and they need to repent and believe. But, oh, there's good news. He, he promises pardon and forgiveness for, to all those who flee to him. You can have life eternal. That, that's our diplomatic business, right? And we, we instruct and teach one another how to do that, because we, we might be here in America, but we really know we represent another place. We've not gotten on a plane and flying from the, flown from the United States to Brussels, Belgium. Instead, what we've done is we've actually, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have shown up from the end of history, from heaven itself, and said, we're here, planet Earth, representing another kingdom. That's our job. Friends, what, is, what are you? You are an embassy. You are an outpost. You are an access point for the kingdom of heaven. That is amazing. And as da- David, David just said, the, act, the action is here. My job, David's job, is to equip you for the real action. Your relationships with each other. Are you living out that culture? Peace, patience, gentleness, kindness. With each other. Here's the deal with patience. I am super patient by myself <laughs> on a desert island with no one around me. You notice the fruit of the Spirit, they're all kind of like corporate things, like you have to, to use them, you kind of got to be with other gentleness. Oh, I'm so gentle, alone at home. They're, they all require this between people. That's where the action is. The fruit of the Spirit, action here. Sermon on the Mount, Beatitudes, Matthew 5, the action is here in your life together. So, friends, do do you get here just in time for church? Kind of swoop in the last minute, and then as soon as it's over, you're out? Or are you showing up early, staying late, getting to know people, letting yourself be known? It's kind of awkward, a little uncomfortable, but, man, I, I know... I'm called to a new culture, a heavenly culture, a new life to to represent the kingdom of heaven on earth. i got to get to know these people. Let them get to know me. Are you inviting them to lunch afterwards? Are you you looking for for people to to invite to lunch to your house or out to a restaurant or whatever? And then throughout the week, you're sending texts, sending messages. Hey, praying for you today. Are you building your lives together? That's the church. It's not just building, event. The building and the event is used to equip for life together, and apart, both—that's—that's that's what we're doing here. One more comment on verse twenty: For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Where's Jesus? Who, who, who speaks for him? Is it the elders? Is it the pope? the bishop, the presbytery. It's the gathered church. He's there. It's very physical, isn't it? That has implications. Where's the church? Where does Jesus say that? Tr- where, where does binding and loosing take place? That has implications for some of the plans of this congregation. I'm just going to leave that as a little gift for you to unpack later, think about more. Where does Jesus show up? Where is the church? What does the gathering have to do with that? Moving on. Point four. We don't join churches, we submit to them. We don't join churches, we submit to them. It's an act of citizenship. I, I submitted myself to the U.S. Embassy there in Brussels. Christians must join churches it's a voluntary society from the state standpoint yes it's not their business it's voluntary insofar as you get to choose which church to join and I think you're free to leave your membership here and find membership in another church but I think Jesus commands you the Bible commands you to submit yourself to the oversight of a congregation the affirmation and oversight of a congregation it's it's your passport right Here's a one-sentence definition of church membership. Church membership is a church's affirmation and oversight to which you commit and submit. That's it, right? It's the church's affirmation of your profession of faith and oversight to your discipleship to which you commit and submit. I'm going to lock arms with these people and walk with them. Now, let me expand the analogy a little bit of the embassy. When I walked up to the embassy desk and I gave them my passport and they affirmed me as a U.S. citizen, I then just went home. But here's the deal when you join a church it's as if you now walk around the desk and you participate in that work of affirmation and oversight. It's your job now, too, to affirm and oversee one another. Do you see? because it's we doing this collectively, together. Uh, think about how this works in the context of, of, of ordinary moment in the life of a church. It's Tuesday evening, I have a couple of young men who I'm discipling over my house, both of them come from a home with, with bad dads, and one has a, a more of an abusive dad, one of them has a kind of an absent dad, uh, Non-Christian homes, but now they 've become Christians, they 've joined the church, now they 're sitting at my home with me. it 's dinner time, wife, kids, one of my kids is acting up. she 's being really frustrating to me. I 'm in the flesh wanting to snap at her. But it occurs to me that a i shouldn 't snap at her because I love Jesus, and b i shouldn 't snap at her because I love her. C, I shouldn 't snap at her because I love them. Because they're looking to me to define for them what a godly Christian dad is like. Why are they looking to me? Because I'm wearing the Jesus name tag. Because the church affirmed me as one of them, as a heavenly citizen. So these two young men go to church on Sundays and they, 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 as they hear the preaching, this is what godly men are like. Godly dads are like, it's like they're getting the outline on the, on the whiteboard, but then they show up at my house and they watch me and because I have the Jesus name tag, I'm, I'm coloring that picture in. I'm saying this is what it's like. Not abusive, but not absent. Now suppose for a second, I was severe with my daughter. Overly severe, sinfully severe. And suppose they, they rebuke me. Jonathan, I it seemed a bit aggressive. Oh, listen, when you're a dad, you'll understand. I respond. I, I, I don't take their counsel. And they kind of push me again. Oh, no, no, that, that really seemed inappropriate, the way you spoke to your daughter. And You know, we've been over a few times and we see a pattern of this. And I'm like, listen, you talk, you come back to me in 10 years when you, when you have kids, okay? So I, it's like, And let's suppose they get a couple of the elders involved and the, 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 the elders come and let's suppose they, they, they've seen the pattern too, and now they're, they're all chastising me. And let's suppose, I, again, I'm, I'm resistant. And I say, if you walked in my shoes, if you had my kids, you'd understand. What's going on in those young men's hearts at this point? At this point, they're thinking, I guess Christian dads are just like every other dad's, just kind of jerks. And why do they think Christian dads are like every other dad's? Because I got the Jesus name tag. Because I'm a baptized, Lord's Supper-receiving, affirmed member of the church. But now let's continue the story. Let's suppose the elders then eventually take it to the congregation, and the congregation says, Jonathan, because you are living in unrepentant, abusive behavior towards your kids, we have to hand you over. We can no longer affirm your profession of faith. We're going to remove that affirmation of faith. What, what, if membership is an affirmation of faith, getting the Jesus name tag, what is church discipline in the final step? In the final step, it's, it's taking that name tag off. It's removing that affirmation. We sent a press report to the nations, press release to the nations saying, Jonathan's a kingdom citizen. It's another press release. Well, we, we take that back. We're not claiming to have Holy Spirit x-ray vision eyes. We can't see his soul. All we know is we can take account for what we're able to publicly affirm. And, and the way he's living is just contrary to his profession. We're taking, okay, now what happens in the hearts of those two young men? Oh, the church won't stand for that. The, the, the church doesn't back up and affirm that kind of behavior, behavior in, its, in its dads. I, I guess maybe Christian dads shouldn't be like that and in a sense their their vision of what a christian dad is is rescued by the church's corporate activity am i making sense so this is where some of these kind of structural keys of the kingdom things intersect with daily everyday life and your walk in following christ and linking arms with brothers and sisters and that's why i'm telling you invite them into your life the christian life is not just you and jesus you are adopted into a people. You have brothers and sisters. He made you a brother and sister. Once you were not a people, now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, now you've received mercy. You're a people now. You have responsibilities for one another. You've got to get to know each other and spend time together. That's the Christian life. The Christian life is the church member life. It's the ecclesial life. And that's how you live out as embassies of heaven. That brings us to point five. Church membership is an office. Church membership is an office. Job responsibility number one, help preserve the gospel. Brothers and sisters, every one of you who have joined this church have a job. Job one is to help preserve the gospel and the the ministry of the gospel and the ministry of this pulpit in this place. Paul, Galatians 1, to the Galatians. I can't believe you guys are turning to a different gospel. If an apostle shows up, Or an angel from heaven comes, let him be anathema. You are responsible, Galatian churches, says Paul. So number one, your job is to help. If if your pastors start preaching a false doctrine, fire them. That's your job. Jesus expects you to do that. Amen, David? Amen, David? Job responsibility number two. Help affirm gospel citizens. Every member of your church, all of you, are responsible for protecting the gospel by affirming one another and walking and linking arms with one another. That's your job. 1 Corinthians 5, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man over to Satan for the f- destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved. You see? He's talking. Again, he's talking to the church. You're to affirm one another. If you are not actively involved, the whole church in this, You guys are going to get weak. You don't want to get weak in the gospel. You need to know the gospel well, study the gospel well, study one another well, so that you can do your job. That's the congregational life. That's the church life. Job responsibilities three and four, disciple other church members and evangelize non-Christians. I think you understand that. I'm going to skip to the conclusion here. When people join of this point, conclusion of this point, not the conclusion conclusion, when people come to join my church and I'm teaching a church membership class Chevrolet Baptist I'll say to them hey we're so glad you're here let me make it clear what you're doing by joining this church you're, you're signing up for a job and you're signing up for the job you're becoming jointly responsible with us to guard and protect the gospel in this place and guard and protect each other in the gospel so in other words we're, we're, we're not expecting you to show up for 90 minutes on Sunday kind of, but otherwise remain anonymous to us we, we, we need help We need you to walk around that embassy desk and help us in this work and get to know us. Let us get to know you. So, you don't have to join here, but you do need to join someplace. Do you want to join here? We we need more hands for the help. That's what I say in a membership class to make it clear that you are signing up for an office. Point six. Point six. Church membership is for repentant and baptized sinners. Church membership is for repentant and baptized sinners. After everything I've said, it might sound like, oh man, Jonathan, that sounds like the bar's pretty high. Is this, is this a church of Pharisees, a bunch of law keepers? that's uh, a little intimidating to me. Well, let's go back to Matthew's gospel and listen to who Jesus says represents him. Five, chapter 5, verse 3. It's a bunch of texts again, real quick. Chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Chapter 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Uh, Chapter 10, verse 32, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Chapter 18, verse 4, Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. These are the people who belong to heaven these are the people who are members of the church and the church is to receive the poor in spirit those who follow after and fight to follow after the will of god those who acknowledge christ and those who humble themselves like little children do you see the pattern Christianity and therefore church membership is not for the strong. It's not for those who have their acts together, who have determined to follow their own wills, do it their way. It's for those who have tried and failed and come to the end of themselves. It's for the teenagers who had certain ideals and went off to college with with these ideals of the person I'm going to be and found themselves just falling into sin. It's for the mothers who have tried really hard to be the perfect mothers and and read all the books and then lost their temper with their kid again and are despising of themselves, like, no, why did I do that? it's 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 for the men who have spent their whole careers chasing worldly things and getting to the end of their careers and realizing, I've been utterly selfish. It's been all about me this whole time who will save me from this death christianity and therefore church membership is for the people who have reached the end of themselves matthew 9:12 those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick for i came not to call the righteous but sinners the heavenly father has chosen unbelievably to represent himself on planet earth who speaks for heaven not with the morally perfect but with the morally broken morally contrite. That is, the person who knows he or she is a sinner, hates that fact, they've been pursuing sin, but now repents, turns away, repents. is like, Jesus, I'm following you now. That's who represents Jesus. That's who represents heaven on planet earth, the repentant, the trusting, and the following the ones hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Blessed are those, chapter 5, verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Friends, this, this, this is the heart of Christianity. If, if you're here this morning as a guest and you, you, you've been thinking about Christianity, what's this all about? Heaven, Yeah. Here's the heart of Christianity. We, we were created for good to do good, to love others, to love God, but, but, but we haven't. We've loved ourselves. We've sought ourselves. We've not been pictures of heaven. We've been pictures of another place where sin reigns. But Jesus Christ, unbelievably, came, perfect God, perfect man, lived the life we should have lived, died the death on the cross that we all deserve to die As Nick said in, I think, one of his prayers, absorbing the wrath that we deserve, paying the penalty that you and I deserve, so that all who... And then then Rose again, indicating he defeated the penalty of sin and death. So that all who, as I said, turn away from their sins and follow after him have eternal life in Christ. If, if, if you have more questions about that, talk, talk to... I'm going to be scooting off pretty quickly, actually, to the airport. Talk to the Christian friend who brought you. Talk to anybody here who's a member. Talk to one of the elders to tell you more about this good news of the gospel. If you haven't been listening to anything else, I'm going to say, hear that. Okay? Because this is the heart of what I've been saying. And it's how we come to actually represent heaven on earth as we are then baptized into him, baptized into his name, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, and join a church. And if you think you want to follow Christ, that's what you do. What must we do to be saved, they say to Peter? Repent and be baptized. And it says 3,000 were baptized and added to their number. What number? Well, the number of the church in Jerusalem. They knew their names. Did they keep them on Excel spreadsheets? I don't know. But somehow they knew their names. There was a church there. That's who church membership is for. Uh, Point seven, last point. Churches offer the first fruits of heaven, not the full feast. The first fruits of heaven, not the full feast. Jesus gave the keys to Peter in order to provide that access point between heaven and earth. But then do you remember Jesus saying to Peter towards the end, truly, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. You you remember that, right? What kind of access point is Peter there? How's Peter doing at his job there? Holding those keys, Peter. Doesn't seem like it. Friends, churches get it wrong. Churches make mistake. I've been providing this pretty picture, Embassy of heaven. It's all true. It's what we work for. It's what we aspire to, but we get it wrong. You will be disappointed in a church. People will sin against you. You, you will sometimes feel lonely. But my guess is, if you spend enough time, you're going to find first fruits. My wife and I went to an Italian restaurant not too long ago, and for an appetizer, we got the bruschetta. You know bruschetta? I love bruschetta. You get kind of the crusty bread and and like um, uh, diced up tomatoes that have been marinating and and balsamic and and olive oil, and then you get the what's the green stuff they put on it? It's not so long. Basil. Basil, right? I love bruschetta. But then, after the bruschetta comes the chicken parmesan. I love chicken parmesan. What's the local church here and now? It's the bruschetta, not the chicken parmesan. You get a little bit of taste now, and you think, all right, I'm ready for the feast. But no, it waits, it'll come. But right now, God has good purposes in having us wait for the chicken parmesan and praise God for the bruschetta. Right? Some of you are like, what is he talking about? (laughs) Not sure. It's an embassy, it's not the nation, it's an outpost of the nation go to the american embassy in brussels belgium and you don't get all of america you just need a little, little slight a little foretaste right so you are going i trust if you spend any length of time in the church you're going to experience all those wonderful cultural things i talked about but you know you're also going to experience it's the fact that we're not there yet expect to be disappointed and that's okay it's even in the very disappointments that God has good purposes you in getting you to hope for Him. Right? And he's, he's teaching you to live by faith and not by sight. He's increasing your desires for the chicken parmesan. Right? So He has good purposes even when that person doesn't show up for nursery on time even though she said she would and you're really frustrated because you, be, you need to be over here and she just... She's never following through. Oh, what is her deal? Or or are you here? He he said that thing about you behind your back and you're you're kind of stewing about it? Or or the elders, what were they thinking? God has good purposes for you and your sanctification and your holiness and your growth and all of these things, even in that. He's teaching you to love your enemies. He's teaching you to be meek. He's teaching you to hunger and thirst for righteousness even more than you do already. So the good is there. There's also the tough. I want you to expect of as you learn to live together as these embassies of heaven. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for Chevrolet Baptist Church. Thank you for Bethlehem Baptist Church South. Thank you for the churches in Minneapolis and and Chevrolet, Maryland and Washington, D.C. And thank you for the churches across this country and around this globe who are all these outposts of light, these embassies of heaven, pointing the world to, to the greater hope that we have of the gospel. We pray, I pray for this congregation that you would help them remain faithful Growing in loveliness and holiness and Christ likeness, we pray that you would make us more like you in, his, in, in, in your Son's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading the passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples,